Parsha Achrimois, not with Kedoshim, which of course ruins the uh, dictum Achrimois Kedoshim Emor. This year before Pesach. Okay, the people are buzzing in over here. Some are on their way, some are not at home. Shabbos before Pesach is known as Shabbos Hagodil. Strange name, which Shabbos isn't big, which Shabbos isn't great. But this Shabbos is called Shabbos HaGadol, more than any other Shabbos. I was told today by somebody, when he comes to the Shir, um, if I mention the parasha, he's walking out. So since he's late, I was able to mention the parasha. that you can sneak in on different people. Shahakol It's not Mazenis. All Mazenis are Shahakol. Please don't talk. I'm online here. Thank you. Um, Achrei Mois talks about, of course, as we know, the death, the passing of the two sons of Arnakayin, Nadav and Aviu. We've discussed at length back in Pasha Shemini when it's mentioned the story of the grave sin that Nadav and Aviu transgress. And it was indeed a grave sin. What was the grave sin in essence? The grave sin in essence was they were on the outbound and they had no return. A person doesn't work that way. A person serves God, there's a purpose, and there's a reason, and there's a time for everything, and a place for everything. And the person has to know this is where, this is when, and this is how. The person cannot just decide where he wants God and when he wants God. The person can't sit and scrutinize himself and then say, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough and therefore... I don't deserve. I don't deserve to live. I don't deserve to exist. I don't deserve. Because that is in the hand of God. God decides who deserves and who doesn't. Rosh Hashanah, Yikasevon, Yimsem Kippur, Yikasevon. Rosh Hashanah, they write it. Yimsem Kippur, they seal it. Mi Yichya, Mi Yomos, who lives, who dies, who, how, and what, when. So when a person is hard on themselves, is harsh with their behaviors, it's acceptable in essence. But to a limit. To a limit that ultimately the person has to say, I have to figure out how to reconcile with the physical world and to readjust my essence, my metzius, so that I find my place and I find my way. Needless to say, this is a very difficult task. Very difficult in that if you mean it, you're sincere, 
and you want to serve God the way you're supposed to, then you obviously are upset with yourself when you are flawed. Where's the happy medium? There's got to be a happy medium. There's got to be that middle road There's got to be that middle road that says here is good and here is not so good. But another one of you did not have that. Another one of you were very hard on themselves and even more so. They were hard on their actual body, their existence. What is the body? The body is in a shama in the body. A soul that descends part of God, as the Chassidus explains in the beginning of Tanya. It's a chelik elikam in Malmamish. And when this holy soul enters into a body, the holy soul has its task for the X amount of years that it exists on the world. And throughout that time, the body has an obligation to fulfill the mission of the soul. Is that easy? Not by a long shot. Is it commonplace? Even less. person has to Find this find their niche. Another of you didn't. So therefore the parsha starts the warning is given now to the Kohanim, to all the priests, that they may not come into the base Hamikdash, they may not enter the temple without, with, with, after, uh, under the influence of alcohol, being intoxicated. It's a severe thing. But Rashi is very, very clean and clear and clear-cut. And therefore Rashi comes up immediately and says, Rashi turns around and says very, very clearly, That why does the Torah warn us here? Why is the Torah telling us at this juncture? About the prohibition of alcohol consumption prior to the entrance, the service in the temple. Rashi says a muscle. A muscle of a person that went to a doctor and the person was ill. The person was ill. And the doctor said, You know something? Your illness, Rahman Thank you. Um, is detrimental detrimental actions for this illness is eating cold drinking cold sleeping in cold wet damp places very very dangerous for you it would be very dangerous and therefore I recommend that you are very careful not to do that Another fellow 
with the same ailment goes to his doctor. And the doctor says to him, the doctor says to him, this ailment is very bad, and you should not drink anything cold, you should not eat anything cold, you should not lie anywhere wet or cold, because remember your neighbor who died last month, he died from this. So if you don't want to die like he died, you shouldn't. Says Rashi, who is more careful? Who is going to be more careful? This guy or that guy? Obviously, the guy that's warned about the death of his friend is going to be more careful. And that's why this parasha begins, the warning was given, not just given and said, don't drink while intoxicated, but if you do, God forbid, these are the consequences that you're talking about. And they're there, right in front of you. The funeral is barely finished. They're not cold in their graves. They were not cold for a long time, actually. They got fried. Um, nasty humor. <laughs> yeah. I spoke this week in different places. The why this hit me like I don't know, but um, once there's this little comedy skit. Paul Revere was riding down the midnight ride, famous ride of Paul Revere. Ever heard of Paul Revere? No. Listen, my children, and you shall hear the midnight ride of Paul Revere. Over the mountains and through the night. Okay, anyway, it's a famous, famous story. And he warned about the British that were coming to attack. Mm-hmm. And he woke everybody up in the middle of the night to tell them. So they tell the story that when he came running through the street, screaming, the British are coming, the British are coming, all of a sudden one window flew open, and this Muslim sticks his head out and says, What? He says, The British are coming. He says, I thought you said the Yiddish are coming. <laughs> so it said that the... It's, it's glad that most of the group of most of the group was women. This is one of the most horrific things you can tell a woman is Pesach is coming. My my mother was Shalom, Shalom. When Pesach finished and we put everything away and finally put everything back up in the closets or schlepped them down to the basement wherever they had to go, and we sat down to eat the first bit of chametz. Mother said, be careful, that shouldn't fall on the floor, it's almost Pesach. <laughs> the preparation for Pesach. The, so the, the trauma that the poor women go through is just mind-boggling. And, and the, the, the women that never have to go to work, I, can't, I don't envy them whatsoever. Not because, I don't envy a woman that has to go to work. But a woman that has to go to work and stands all day long at work, only thinking about her Pesach. Only thinking about what she's going to cram in that night when she gets home. It's just, it's just a trauma beyond. The psychologist would never have been able to come up with such a thought. Freud, Sigmund Freud would have had a heart attack from listening to this. <laughs> Speaking of almost heart attacks, I, um, I had to open my Yahoo mailbox yesterday. So I opened the Yahoo page and one of the headlines in the news is a, is a picture of MTA elevator got stuck for an hour yes yes how many times did I take that elevator how many times did I go out I had to go out to Columbia Presbyterian and they have also the exact same elevator going up over there how many times did I get into it in my severe case of claustrophobia and see the doors close and say oh no if I get stuck in here with these 72 smelly people I don't know what's going to become and there it was, and I'm telling you, I was <laughs> just watching this thing for an hour and a half. They were stuck in there. I don't know. I was, and um, actually tonight we had to go somewhere. Stuck in an apartment uh, with no hand. Yeah, there you go. And then you sell the, then the apartment. They put a brand new door, I think. <laughs> <laughs> they found it because of me. <laughs> that was a Yenigal lechter. Um.
So in essence, we're talking Pesach. Talking Pesach, there's Hilkas Pesach. There's Mechiris Chomets, the selling of the Chomets. What is that all about? And where did this come from? And how severe is Mechiris Chomets? There was a time where people made very big light of it. They made light of the whole concept selling the Chomets. It's uh, imaginary. It's almost imaginary. You're selling me the Chomets and I'm selling it to the guy. Or you're, you're appointing me as a missionary. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't go according to the real logic that the human being sits and thinks. The man that sits and thinks logically does not understand Mechiris Chomets. And therefore there was a time that the Chacham had a issue exactly how the whole thing should work or not work. The Al-Tarebbe came to the conclusion that this is not just a um, imaginary or fictitious act. This is a very powerful, powerful story. Let us go into the spiritual realm of Pesach. Let us forget the fact that our eyes are barely open because we're so exhausted from Pesach, from preparations. Let us forget the screaming and the yelling and the trauma that goes on in the house. Let us take the spirituality of opening a Haggadah and B'dikus Chometz night making a bracha al bir Chometz, not al B'dikus Chometz, on the destruction of my Chometz. And then making this whole ceremony of putting the bag with the spoon, the spoon should stick out, so we don't forget the spoon, we don't forget that the bag is there. Mind-boggling, why would some forget? I mean, everybody, as soon as they wake up, every basic in the morning, they're ready. <laughs> Do I smell a fire yet? <laughs> I got to run out to the fire, I got to go burn the comments. It's, it's, it's something that's it's, it's an automatic pilot by people. How and why and where would somebody forget such a thing? Well, come tell us, you have to take the spoon, stick out, feather, and everything that people should know to remember that tomorrow they have to go the Chomets. And remember where the Chomets is. And then they start B'dikas Chomets. They start B'dikas Chomets and they put ten little pieces out. Why ten pieces? What is the actual significance of ten pieces? According to Chassidus, each thing has its own level, its own svira, its own issue. But we take it basis from the Gemara, because the Gemara tells us what happens if the person put down ten and found nine. Based on that, the Gemara said, in that case it must mean that the person had to put down ten. <laughs> it says if you put down ten, he found nine. But if you found 11, so the Gemara goes back and forth about putting down the 10, so severe, so much about, obviously you have to put down 10. I need my chocolates. It's almost fachosha to the fellow, the, the rabbi, whatever it was, that used to cut his nails every Friday after going to the mikveh. They asked him, how come after Dafka, after the mikveh, you cut your nails? What's, what's the meaning behind it? This is very, very spiritual. They're softer. Um, so the Gemara, by saying, the Chacham, by saying that the Gemara said, if there was ten and he found nine, obviously means that we have to put down ten. What are you talking about? Ask her. So we put down the ten pieces. Then the Shekhalarach asks the question, what happens if you forgot to put the ten pieces? Did you make a bracha lavatala? You went room to room looking. If you went room to room looking and searching, obviously you made your bedikah. Do I have to find the pieces 
Do I have to put down pieces or not? So a lot of this now falls into tradition. <laughs> One of the places that I had to go speak, I spoke standing. There was probably not enough chairs. So I said, I'll give up mine. You know, it's, it's easier for me. And besides, oh, the table, it's in a conference room, the, all, the whole table is full of computers. Must be computer lessons there. So by sitting, I had a difficulty anyway. Half the people couldn't see me. So I said, right, let me stand anyway. So here I am, this big bushy-bearded rabbi standing up there, and I'm talking about tradition. And I said, okay, at this point you expect me all to burst out into dance and song about tradition. It's not happening. <laughs> it's the wrong fiddler. <laughs> not done that way. But it all boils down to tradition. That the children have to see tradition. The idea of Pesach is to tell your child. The idea of Pesach is that the child should ask questions. Now, generally, when the father has had it, and is overworked and, and just petered out, and just doesn't want to hear the questions. Don't want to hear it. Stop bothering me. And yet, here comes a holiday where we're telling you, not only you have to answer the children's questions, but another step. You're doing things to make the child ask. And we're telling you, the reason you're doing this is so the child should ask you. You're drinking, you have to drink your cup of wine leaned over. What happens if you didn't lean over? Just drink your cup of wine. You know what the din is? You have to drink it over. If you didn't lean over when you ate your matzah, you have to eat another kezayis. So much so, that there's arguments, and there are those of the opinion, that when you eat that second kezayis, you might have to make a bracha again, al matzah. That so much so, you were not yaitzah the first time without leaning over. Why are we leaning over? And that's one of the four questions. Why are we all of a sudden leaning over? Why are we taking, in the beginning of the Suda, we make Kiddush, and all of a sudden we're taking a coffee break, we're washing our hands, and we're not eating kala or matzah, we're dipping potatoes into salt, into salt water. We're dipping onions into salt water. What happened here? Ask, my child, ask. The Badichra had a magnificent Seder. Amazing Seder. He finished the Seder and the Chassidim were very elated and the Badichev himself felt that he really accomplished every possible spiritual every spiritual you're breaking the chair every spiritual level that you could possibly acquire he did it and the Badichev hears a holy voice the, heaven, the heaven's voice, heavenly voice and the heavenly voice says, Levi Yitzchak, you think that you did, that you did a Seder? Shmerel the tailor did a better Seder than you did. But this should have said, Shmerel, who is Shmerel the tailor? Obviously he lives in, in Badichev, but who could he be? Hello. In the middle of a shir. Who could this Shmerel be? And he asked the Chassidim, Does anybody know Shmerel the tailor? Nobody know. Finally, one guy says, Wait a minute. There used to be a tailor Shmerel. And you know something? He was a real Shmerel. He did not know what tailoring was all about. So much so that he did not know what tailoring was all about, that he did not, he couldn't make it. All cakes are shahakal. All mezainas are shahakal. Sounds better. Such a shlemazel was he that he couldn't do it. So where is he? He's living at the end of the town in a few boxes that they put together, him and his wife. And he's a drunk. Lebach an alcoholic. In other words, in time and history... When a person failed in business, they turned to alcohol. 
It's amazing. It's even more amazing is when you hear profound statements from drunks. You ever listen to ever listen to a drunk sometimes? They come up with some real losers. And he quote I'll quote it over and over and over. He should live and be well. He lives in the he's in a home now and they pretty much sobered him up. But Zalman the Shikha was one of the famous drunks in seven seventy. Has it has a family actually, but the, I guess didn't hit it off right. And one night Zalman we came into Shul in seven seventy, the Davin, I don't know what it was. Day or night. I don't know what night what it is now, day or night, never mind then. And um Zalman the Shikha was lying this passed out. All of a sudden, he lifts his head up. He's smiling from ear to ear. And he says, ha. As they always thought, ha. I thought I could drown my sorrows. I found out sorrows float. <laughs> he went back to sleep. <laughs> we heard that, and we were just mesmerized. I mean, this is one of the most profound things I've ever heard. And I'm coming out of this guy who looks like he's totally spent and burnt. And it was an amazing thing to hear. This is Taka, the idea, the thought, how people turn to alcohol. Back to the story. I never, I can't imagine going off on a tangent on a story. That is really the worst. That's you reaching down. Oh, gosh, I'm not talking to myself soon if I don't stop this. All right, enough. Uh, anyway, um, I know what I'm holding. You should know lately. I, I'm, I'm, it's scaring me. I got a phone call from. Right, my oil company saying that the heap program has leftover money, so they don't just file it; they use it. So they notify the customers that they have throughout the winter that there's emergency funds again. So my oil company called me to tell me there's emergency funds available, but it's not going to be available until Monday for me because it's 30 days since the last check. I said fine. So I have a friend that I know that I spoke to about heap that he had gone to. So I said, I have to remember, I'll see him in Shul to tell him. They didn't have his number offhand. And it wasn't by day. It was the next morning. I came to Shul, and I saw him, and I said, I have terrible news for you. He says, what's that? I had something to tell you yesterday, and I remember what it was. (laughs) 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 I mean, (laughs) what is the likelihood? (laughs) I remembered what to tell you. It was scary. So unfortunately, my shot, somewhere along the line, I'm apparently backtracking. Instead of going into Alzheimer's, my mind is going the other way back. I don't know. So Shmerl was a shikha at the end of the town. It was about Ditchva, 2 o'clock in the morning. After Seder, magnificent, elevating Seder, decided to go see what Shmerl did. And he comes to the house, and he knocks on the, the house, he knocks on the box, and the wife pops her head out, and she says, I knew it! I knew it! That Shmerl, he deserves whatever you're going to give him, Rebbe. I know you came here now to reprimand him. I know you came here now to curse him out for that lousy, miserable way he behaves. For this drunkenness and his stupors. I know you're saying, but it's Shmerl home. Of course he's home, woman, and I'm going to get him. He hears She's picking up a bucket of water. And you hear the way she <laughs> douses apparently her husband and screams, Shmero, you bum, get up! The devil's here, he came to give you a chedek for acting like a drunk. Shmero drives himself off and comes running to the door to Zebra come inside. And uh, the Medici says to him, Tell me, Shmero, you had to say that? He says, of course I had to say that, Rebbe. Yes, I had to say that, but please, forgive me, Rebbe. He throws himself on the floor, and he's holding the Rebbe's feet, and he's saying to the Medici, please forgive me. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Shmuel, please stand up. Stand up, please. I want to talk to you. But please, Rebbe, forgive me. Don't don't punish me, Rebbe. I won't do it again. Shmuel, Shmuel, talk to me. What did you do? How did you prepare for your Seder? I don't have any parnasa, I have no money. But every so often I get a few cupcakes here and there, people give me because they have pity on me in the street. It sounds like my story. And um, 
I put together a few copies, I buy myself vodka. And I drink. And everybody knows. That's what I do. They give me some money and I drink my vodka. Which is interesting because today, in today's day, they encourage you not to give to the drug addicts and to the alcoholics any money. In those days it was uh, acceptable. He says, this morning, a fellow came over to me and gave me some cupcakes and he said to me, Meshmerel, I got bad news for you. You know you're not allowed to drink vodka for eight days now. So what are you talking about? He said, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? It's Pesach. You can't drink vodka on Pesach. He said, I can't drink vodka on Pesach. His brain was fried. As was his kidney and liver and everything else. Um, can't drink vodka on Pesach. Eight days over the night. I must admit, I ran out and I quickly collected as much money as I've ever collected in my life. I told everybody, for Pesach, for Pesach. And they, for Pesach, they had pity on me. They gave me money. And I bought a barrel full of vodka. Eight days, I'm not going to be able to drink. I got How am I going to survive? And I drank the entire contents so that it keep me going for the eight days. I passed out. I passed out, and I was lying there. Shlomo. I'm passed out at the stage over here, middle of a shir. What's up? Oh my gosh. I just text him, and I'll text him back again. Okay. This is Okay, okay, thank you. Wonders and wonders, miracles and miracles. Oh. For this I might forget. Um, we give out food to the teachers. And. Um, Anyway, the kid said, says, it came to say, that it came that night, I was drunk like like it's never been before, and my wife comes inside, and like she, you might have heard her do before, she took her bucket of water, and she doused me. She doused me, and she says, Shmerl, get up, we have to make a seder. And Rabbi, you have to understand my situation. I was six years old, my parents died. Nobody ever educated me. Nobody ever brought me up. I had to go from job to job, from this to that. I tried to be a tailor for years. I tried, I tried, I tried my hand. <coughs> I had tailors try to teach me because they had pity on the orphan. It never worked for me, never. But nobody ever taught me how to read, how to write, how to do anything, how to read Hebrew. They never taught me a law. They never taught me a custom. I never saw anything. I was raised in orphanages. So Rabbi, I, I, I apologize, but I didn't know. It's all out of ignorance. My wife had actually made a table that looked like a table. Candles, and matzah, and wine. And she said, Shmerel, we have to make a seder. I don't know what a seder is. So I took the wine... And I drank my cups of wine and I ate my my matzahs and I said, God, I don't know what a seder is. We were slaves in Egypt and you took us out. We're slaves today. You better take us out. And I went back to sleep. That was my seder. That in heaven, the sincerity of this shmerel was greater than all the things that the Baditshava had accomplished. There was a teacher in our yeshiva many years ago. His name was Rabbi Zil Wasserman. Rabbi Wasserman was a... I mean... It's one of those guys that you understand why he died young. God just loved this guy. He wanted him upstairs. He wanted him down here. He was too far away. It wasn't pleasant. Anyway, 
Rabbi Lassman did everything that according to the books. And one of the things was that on Wednesdays he would go to release time. Which is the Wednesday hour, they take the children out of public school and they have religious instruction for them. And the week before, two weeks before Pesach, he practiced and practiced with the children the Seder. He made model Seders. He got, uh, it was this, the punch, Hawaiian punch, or whatever it was, and he got crackers and he showed them these are matzah, this is like wine looks like, like that. Fine. But you could drink grape juice, you don't have to drink wine. The next class after after the Seder was on Chalamoid. There was school. So he did his release time. There were two little girls, sisters, looked very tired. Very tired. Kept yawning, they kept dozing. Scary. After the class, he says to them, Are you okay? And they started to cry. And so we can't talk. We can't talk. We can't talk. Finally, when everybody left, he prompted them and coaxed them and he got them to tell their story. They said, Rabbi, our mother is Jewish, but our father isn't. You told us about a Seder and we came home and said we want to make a Seder. My mother said, you know, that sounds good. And my father went ballistic. He says, you mention it again, I'll break your bones. But you taught us how important the Seder was. So me and my sister sat, as the older one is telling, and we decided how we are going to make a Seder. And we went to our piggy bank, and we broke it open, we took out whatever money we had saved, and we went to the store and we found out how much everything's going to cost. And one day we bought grape juice, and one day we bought matzah, and one day we bought whatever we knew how we could. The night of the Seder, we went to bed like everybody else. And our parents thought we were asleep, and their parents went to sleep. When the parents went to sleep, we snuck down to the basement. We were petrified. It's a basement with little kids. And we drank our wine, and we ate our matzah. And the second night we did the same. The second night was a little easier already. We even felt comfortable enough to smile and to laugh. So that's why we're tired now. In the middle of the night, we stayed up all night to make our seder. Sincerity in the Messiah's nefesh of these little children is just mind-boggling. But let us examine a little bit our seder itself. On the Kaira we have three matzahs, Kayin, Levi, and Yisrael. Kayin, Levi, and Yisrael is an acronym Kli, Keli, a vessel. And it says, Dafke, according to Kabbalah, that it's best we have a matzah that's slightly bent in the middle that should look like a vessel. Because the concept of the matzah is to accept the oiris, the lights, from heaven, and therefore you need a vessel for that. So we make in the order of Kayin, Levi, and Yisrael. But in essence, Yisrael, Levi, and Kayin reverses the word Yelech, to go, to go from level to level, from sphere to sphere. And this is the idea of putting together <coughs> the three matzahs in this order. There are 15 simanim in the Haggadah. Kadesh, Urchatz, Karpas, Yachatz, Magid. There are 15 simanim as such. 15 is the numerical value of Yudke, God's name. According to Kabbalah, is Chochmah and Bina. Although we're eating matzah, which is called Lachma Damnusa, bread of belief, giving us emuna, strengthen our emuna, and Kabbalah sale, but still we have to do it with Chochmah and with Bina. We have to understand what we're doing. And understanding, there's no stronger understanding than someone that's able to explain it. When you have a question, you have a thought, and you want to just think about it, you can think it through. When you have to relay it, relate it to somebody else, there you need Chachma. To put things in words, 
story over and over, but always comes into use. The uh, Shnara came to town. And in this town, there was a union. A lot of towns in those days had union Shnaras. And the union of Shnaras was standing together, and he goes to the union, and he says, where is the the Gvir? The richest guy. So they started laughing. Said, you crazy? He's a miser. He doesn't give anything. He doesn't give anybody. What are you, nuts? So he says, just, 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 just tell me. Kids, so they all left. They pointed him in the direction of the Gvir. He comes to the Gvir's house, and he knocks on the door. And lo and behold, to his luck, the man himself opens the door, not a butler, not a nothing. He says, I, 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 now, you have to understand, I don't know if you, how sensitive you are. A lot of us are, are very sensitive, and we tend to, our hearts break for such people. And we try to coax them, and coach them, and talk to them nicely, so that we don't upset them. And a lot of people just tend to take it. It gets very irritating and very aggravating. And get it out already. Tell me what you want to say. And um, this rich man was just such a person, obviously. So when this fellow comes to the door, starts stuttering, he was getting him very nervous. And he says, I, I, I need, I need, I, he says, you know what, you need, right here, here, you need here. And he gives him 20 bucks. He says, I have to, I have to, I have to, 20, understand? He says, you know what, here's a hundred bucks. Stop it. Get out of here. Hundred, hundred, twenty, hundred, twenty. Have big, big, large, fat, 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 fat family. You can't do this. I got so nervous. He takes out and he gives him a check, ten thousand dollars. Says, "This will cover whatever you have." Now turn around and leave. So he comes back to the union. They said, "So he kicked you down the steps?" Said, "No, no, no." Says, "What did he give you?" Look. He takes out twenty dollars. Twenty dollars. He takes out a hundred. <laughs> then he takes them, shows them the check. He get. She said, "How did you do it? What's your secret?" He said, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah. You have to not talk." <laughs> um, <laughs> so Chacham and Bina tell us how to talk when we have to express something, and we have a thought in our mind, and just to put it on paper sometimes is easy, but to express it and to say it in words, you have to know how to talk. And you have to be blessed with that gift. And my father, Sean, was blessed with the gift of singing, of a voice. He left me no inheritance. <laughs> um, <laughs> we start the first, uh, first of the Haggadah, Kadesh. Tradition, once again. Tradition has it that the child declares each one of the atheists. And the child explains each one. And the tradition had it that the child would get up and say in Yiddish, Kadesh, when the Tate Kuntahim Shul. Now, in, in the Polish circles, in the rest of the world actually, the father wears a kittel for the Seder, which is similar to the no. Kayan Godel. So the Yiddish would be Kaddish Tatakum Tehim from Shul, two tons and Vice Kittel, a Macht like Yiddish, Kiddish, the Kinders on the Shvashlofen Veren, Ufregen Manishtana. When father comes home from Shul, he puts on his white Kittel and immediately makes Kiddish so the children don't fall asleep and can ask the Manishtana. And there's a famous story where the Malamid felt that it was too much for the little child to hear all that. And hence, he taught the Rebbe's child, Tata, Kaddish, Tata, Kamtein, Vishul, Machta, Gleich, Kiddish. And that's it. And he asked the child, the father asked the child, is that it? He said, that's it. Can't be. What else is it? The child never started to cry, I don't know. The Rebbe had no 
Rishus, no second thoughts, they ever picked himself up and said, we're leaving the Seder, come with me. And they went to the teacher's house. And they came to the teacher's house, and he said to him, what did you teach my son? So what do you mean? I taught him to say that. What did you teach him about the Haggadah Kaddish? He says, I taught him when the child, father comes home from shul, he makes like Kiddush. He says, why? He says, so the children don't fall asleep. And no why did you not teach that to him? He says, too much, he's a little boy. He says, let me explain to you what it is. Kaddish, when the father, the father talks about our father in heaven. He comes home from shul. He comes out into the into the domain of home onto the Kisei Akovit. Huh? What is it? Raskin? Yes. What is the reason that he must do so immediately? So the children do not fall asleep and they ask Ma Ma Nishtana They ask these questions the Indian that concept and he explained to him according to Kabbalah he says don't make light of such things this is very severe and so are all the simonim each simon in its own has this tremendous tremendous connotation there's a custom of hundreds and hundreds of years old that the children receive gifts for returning the Afikaiman. Which obviously means that they take the Afikaiman after the father takes the matzah. Kaddish, the first of the simonim, Urchatz, we wash and we have Karpas, and then Yachatz, we stop the Seder, break, coffee break. And we take the middle matzah, we don't measure. We don't look right or left. We reach inside and we crack the middle matzah. So traditionally, obviously, this matzah has a lot, a lot of spirituality in it. And therefore, in my, at least in my circle, in my own home, I usually use that for the Erev Pesach matzah. The matzahs that are baked Erev Pesach after Chatzais are called matzah mitzvah. And I bake, those are the matzahs that, matzah that I buy, Erev Pesach, I buy two matzahs usually, and that's used on the first night and the second night for the levy, so that when we break it for yachatz, we'll have it later for the afikaiman. The afikaiman is broken, we usually take the larger half, but we don't measure which is bigger, which is smaller. The Rebbe Beis Harav used to break it in five pieces. And it gets put into a bag, and the children traditionally would take it, and they'd be rewarded to return it. And it turned into a different ritual. It lost somewhere. It got lost where the children stole the Afikaman, and the children practically blackmailed the parents to give it to them. And then you had the older parents, ones that were married kids and grandchildren, <laughs> and had little children still. I know such a couple. <laughs> so obviously they're not as patient as they used to be. And it comes the Afikaiman, and they steal the Afikaiman. And you know what? You're not giving it back to me? No problem. Takes another piece of matzah and he eats the matzah. It's not a, he makes a non-issue out of it. That's the yachatz. After yachatz. You did it? You didn't do it. You did that. Then comes Magid, where we start to read the actual Haggadah. But it's not Kriya, it's not Kriyas Haggadah, it's called Magid. Throughout the entire part of Haggadah, we are telling and retelling the story and reliving the story. And this is the mission <coughs> of the night. And that's why it's important, no matter how old the children are, to put them to sleep during the day, so that they can stay up as much time as they can during the Seder. If they can eat matzah, of course they have to eat matzah. Um, it's very difficult, because you want the peace and quiet, you want the tranquility, you don't want the kids running around under the table, but it's their night. This is their night. And therefore, as hard as it might be, and as difficult as it might feel, this is the time that the children have to have their night, their stage. 
the Sephardim have a magnificent custom that before Helach Manya, they take matzah, they put it in a bag, and they pin it to the shoulder of the child, the youngest in the house, and they ask in Arabic, Who are you? The child answers in Arabic, He's Jewish. And where are you coming from? I'm coming from Egypt. And where are you going to? I'm going to Jerusalem. And this, con- this whole dialect is back and forth in Arabic. Which is an amazing thing because it's tradition. And it keeps a tradition, a rich tradition, that the child feels, I'm part of it. And the child doesn't feel, ah, only the parents are sitting there, you know, they told the story a million times, they had it in the Sheikh Chabad journal once, a little girl, little child was sitting home Friday night, father went to shul already, a little boy is sitting there with a sitter, he says, Ma, what are we diving tonight? The Kabbalah Shabbos, where is this guy see it? Mother opens the Siddha Kabbalah Shabbos, it's right here. And the child just started learning Aleph Beis and reading Kudas. So the child puts his finger on the first letter and he goes, Le? Chu? Le? Chu? Mother says, that's beautiful, amazing. And he goes to the next one, Ne? Ra? Ne? No! He's got the next word. So the mother's praising him, he says, now you see I can read? You can read, I can't believe you can read. He says, Yeah, now I'll dive in like Tati. <laughs> <laughs> so they sit by the Haggadah of the children and they say to themselves, Oh my gosh, how long is this going to go on? And by the Seder, traditionally, we tell the story of Ivan that uh, came to a Seder because he heard the food was amazing. And um, he found the carpus, and the carpus was not sufficient, you have to lessen the Kezayis. And then they started reading, and reading, and reading, and he was going off his mind from the reading. And then after all the reading is said and done, they sit down, they eat this hard matzah, it's like a brach, and then all of a sudden, after the matzah, they bring out the mother, and that's it. He was choking to death on it, he picked himself up and he ran out. And he came to somebody and says, what are you crazy, you sent me to this stupid tradition, this is called fun, this is called good, this is delicious. I was cho- you only got to, you didn't you left right before the meal, and this is therefore what we're hoping to do, anticipating this year when we say the Shana Haba, Yerushalayim. It's a question: Why are we saying the Shana Haba? Why are we saying this year? Why don't we want to be there this year? Why do we say Ashata Hocha, Ashata Avdin, the Shana Haba Yerushalayim? Why are we saying it this year? And there's a Svara that tells us that the Haggadah is such a high level that by reading the Haggadah we bring ourselves into another year into another year so therefore I'm saying when I finish this Haggadah that next year already that next element that I reach to we should be in Yerushalayim and it should talk to me just that we should be in Yerushalayim and we should be in Yerushalayim and we should be in Yerushalayim